Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak and dagger capital intrigue, and there is much to talk about this <laughs> week on that front, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer, and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now fueled by Election Day anticipation and excitement. (laughs) I am Matt Kittle, your investigative reporter right here at uh, Team MacGyver. I'm Bill Osmolsky, a MacGyver News Director, and obviously, yes, we are recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon, so don't expect any election updates. <laughs> but do expect snow <laughs> Lots and low turnout, perhaps. Slow, snow, ice, low turnout. I mean, look at out there. It's just, it's miserable. And it's April. Keep that in mind. <laughs> this is a bad April Fool's joke. Anyway, I'm uh, Chris Rochester, MacGyver Communications Director. Here to remind you to subscribe through your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. Don't live in ignorance, even though it's cold. (laughs) It is not bliss. Be informed. That's right. And follow us on Twitter, at MacIver Report, at MacIver Whisk, at News MacIver. Just type in MacIver. Something will pop up. Follow it. So, so what's our wait? What's our motto? It's ignorance dies in darkness. No, that's a, that's isn't that the Washington Post? <laughs> we're, we're, okay, so if you have a better idea than don't live in ignorance, then yeah. you can uh, tweet it at us, and we'll uh, summarily reject it. I believe the it. Washington Post's new model is ignorance every day. <laughs> I'm Ola Lasowski, a research associate. And I'm Abby Strew, uh, the favored intern. Oh, wow. <laughs> Taking wow. down the path of Tyler, declaring <laughs> yourself, giving yourself spot. titles. She's going to be getting we'll two find... meals at lunch here pretty soon. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out if Tyler listens to the podcast pretty soon. <laughs> but there's a good reason why Abby's with us today, because she went to a special event last night at the UW-Madison Haven Center. And real quick, before we get into this, I'd just like to say that this wasn't just the Haven Center. This was also the History Department and the Humanities Department that, that helped fund this event. So, Abby, what were you doing with the Haven Center last night? Uh, last night with the Haven Center, I had the um, extreme honor of sitting through um, the lecture, uh, a lecture given by an extreme uh, dictator apologist, um, Tariq Ali. Well, and he was getting some kind of award from the university, too. Oh, indeed. He got a very nice, shiny plaque from the History Department, Humanities Department, and the A.E. Haven Center. Ah, Lifetime Achievement Award. Indeed. (laughs) So, Tariq Ali, we've uh, reported on him a bit in the past. He is a writer and a lecturer who has praised Venezuelan dictators, both past and present, uh, Hugo Chavez until it days Nicolas Maduro. He called Chavez, for example a, quote, political leader who promised and delivered social rights against heavy odds. Now, that is just one way you could sugarcoat the horrible things that Chavez did. Chavez, of course, was a violent dictator who brutally murdered political opponents or anyone who would seek to dissent. Well, you're forgetting, like, you know, his real claims to fame that they were touting last night, how, you know, he was apparently the fifth Beatle. John Lennon wrote songs about him. The Rolling Stones wrote Street Fighting Man all about him. 
I have never heard this anywhere else, by the way. <laughs> oh, can you're we, not making this can, up? Can we fact check uh, all of this information? <laughs> uh, was this now, uh, let, let me be clear on this yeah. now, this award, was this uh, Tyrant Supporting Tyrant PR Guy of the Year Award or what? What, what? what is this award really truly all about? So this award goes to social justice warriors present and past. Uh, for instance, we've uh, uncovered that ward people in the past who have been awarded are um, Mr. Noam Chomsky, who is a British linguistics professor who, you know, is pretty Every leftist knows yeah. who he okay. is. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> um, also, Eduardo Gilanoa, or Gil, I can't pronounce his name. Anyways, <laughs> Jello um, Shot, I believe, is his last name, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, he wrote a book called Open Veins that basically blames the struggles of South America on capitalism and not, you know, feudalism hmm. and slavery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's so. a, a very interesting piece in, in Fee, the Foundation for Economic Education, mm -hmm. and uh, written by Daniel Mitchell today about Venezuela, incidentally. Right. And the chart between, it, 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 there was a, a line graph that compared uh, Chile and Venezuela. And Chile, which adopted free, en free enterprise reforms, is, their you know, per capita income is, is up. And right. Venezuela is pretty much like the opposite. Right. So, yeah. But you know, our listeners may not be uh, surprised to find out that true to our free market mission, to put it lightly, none of us are very big fans of communism or socialism. Now, for many of us, this is personal. It's a matter of life or death. Uh, some people might be aware this is also part of my personal story. My parents fled Polish communism in the 80s looking for freedom, the opportunity to build a life. And today we see that very same thing going on in Venezuela, where Venezuelans are faced with the same thing, poverty, disease, literal starvation. And this is something that Abby reported on just last week. I believe it was a piece in the New York Times that reported the average Venezuelan has lost 20 pounds in the last year because there's just no food on the shelves. So, you know, for UW Madison, my alma mater, a fantastic research university, to give any sort of award or, or mention or praise to someone who would praise these types of dictators, especially with, with what's going on today, and especially with what those very dictators are doing to students yeah. Yeah. like you down there. So well, what's, well, something really interesting, it's fun that you bring up Eastern Europe, because he did mention this last night and actually praised Czechoslovakian um, socialism and multiple other countries. He didn't happen to mention, you know, Poland. <laughs> and he also did... Um, this fun thing where he mentioned, or he talked about the Chinese Revolution and also the Russian revolutions, and slipped in the phrase, "Let's put atroc any atrocities these governments uh, may have committed aside." So, uh, the, the, this event last <laughs> night, yes, yeah, yeah, So, so, so this event last night. Just ignore that giant pile <laughs> yeah. of dead bodies, <laughs> really. <laughs> Just uh, no. There's no reason to bring up yeah. genocide. <laughs> So, all right, so this event last night, describe it. You walk into the auditorium. What was there? Well, about 90% of the audience. So this was a 160-room or seat auditorium. 90% um, of the audience was over the age of, I'd say, 60. Um, there were maybe 20 students in the room, myself included. Um, so, honestly, a UW Center catering to, you know, not UW students, that's wonderful um, so um, and then he was introduced uh, like it was mentioned before he was compared to uh, or he was called the fifth beetle <laughs> lovely stuff like that uh, the introduction went on for at least 15 minutes um, after that he started getting into street fighting and how uh, students 
run, rushing to the streets. Uh, he named specifically the recent like protests with the Women's March and um, the recent school shooting march. Um, it, he talked about that and talked about how students are basically the new revolutionaries, how we're going to... Uh, how we're the hope for going into the streets. No word on the Venezuelan students being murdered in the streets today for revolting against the dictator well, he I, praises, I, of I, course. I believe Abby asked, uh, during the Q&A, Abby yes. actually got to ask him a question about that. So what'd you ask him? Um, so I asked um, Mr. Ali during the Q&A session how he could possibly support uh, Chavez and Maduro when they're, uh, in 2017, I believe it was w reported that over 100 students were killed by Venezuelan authorities for, you know, protesting communism. Right. He uh, kind of sidestepped my question and blamed it on the capitalists <laughs> in true leftist form. Yeah, seriously, what what is, go into a little more detail in the response to that, because I would imagine that you are the only person in this room of permed, uh, aging hippies who brings up the fact that Venezuela has a horrible record of um, uh, abuses, of civil liberty abuses. Well, at first he was kind of confused by my question because he started going into the past and how in the past it was the capitalists and the upper class is uh, students that were um, protesting in Venezuela. So he doesn't necessarily stand by uh, what they're saying and that sort of thing. And that's when I brought up, no, the statistic is from 2017. I'm not talking about <laughs> when the revolution happened. Yeah. Um, he dejected that and once again went into the, well, capitalists are worse. You have to understand what Venezuela was like before this. He's of course ignoring that Venezuela was a feudalist society prior to the revolution. It wasn't capitalist and that was the major uh, thing that irritated me the most about his lecture, about how he was blaming all the atrocities of South America on capitalism, when really it was cronyism and basically enslavement. What were the other questions like then? Uh, again, I think you were probably the only person there who asked a pointed question about Venezuela's struggles and the atrocities of the dictators. What were the other questions like? Well, some of the other questions were along the lines of, do we have hope for a socialist society in Amer the American future? Um, he, of course, quoted uh, Bernie Sanders and said no. that he left a le behind a legacy of hope. Hmm. Good to know. Um, and Did then Bernie Sanders pass on? <laughs> <laughs> he left behind I a think, legacy I of think hope. In, I, think in, I think when the DNC... Uh, cut him off. I think that's what he meant. I see. I see. So, they, so he's pretty much put a tombstone on Bernie Sanders' political career then. Oh, Bernie. You know, this is, the, Venezuela was once a very, pros I mean, 20 years ago, Venezuela was a prosperous country with a bright future. It had, you know, it had a, it was an oil-rich nation. They're sitting on some of the biggest natural oil reserves in the entire world. Exactly. I think it was recently it, reported that oil production in, from Venezuela has reduced by like a third or down to like a third. Any questions? Right. Any questions from the social justice warriors in the room, by the way, about that nasty oil and climate change and what Venezuela and its oil production? Not. Okay, I'm just curious because that's something that seems to be divorced in the social justice so, world as well. All right, so did he get the question, Mr. Ali, what should we be doing in Madison? Well, um, one student kind of along, nothing quite like, comparable to that, but yeah. one student asked if it was worth it as a, um, a, a Democratic Socialist in, Mad or in Wisconsin in the Midwest to be voting um, off-card or off-ballot for uh, candidates that support their values. Um, 
Ali said, it depends, and went into a long rambling thing. Wait, so this is a really highly motivated crowd then. Like five people ask questions. Wow. <laughs> hey, hashtag blue puddle. What have I? <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted Hash, to sit there and take in. slight socialism. Yeah. Ta- they wanted to sit there and take in the, uh, you know, the profound observations of Mr. Ali and listen, you know, listen to him sidestep questions about his policies and the dictators he supported ruining this, this country. Well, it's really interesting. Like I said before, UW-Madison is such a big socialist campus, but they can only drag out how many people for <laughs> who they, who the left notes as a great scholar on what they believe in. Well, yeah, it's, you know. Makes me feel better about the events I host on campus. I mean, we're going to be talking later about, you know, UW-Stevens Point eliminating programs with, you know, minimal interest. It sounds like UW-Madison ought to start considering, you know, putting the Haven Center on the chopping block just (laughs) for sake of, you know, there's no interest in it anymore. Yeah, interesting. I think what we've learned here is perhaps UW-Madison is populated by phony socialists. <laughs> socialists who want to come out when it's convenient for yeah. them, I suppose. Well, like, like, like the professor who teaches about the inequality of capitalism but earns one hundred and seventy grand a year. Se- seems like a huge disconnect to me, yes. You I know think how I can a get a job like that after I graduate? <laughs> <laughs> You're on the wrong side. <laughs> All right, so moving on to the Capitol, where we just ended the legislative session, we hope. There was a lot of last-minute bills that were getting introduced, and obviously all the attention was on what were the Republicans introducing because as they were introducing bills, you know, we were all of a sudden getting more and more floor periods to bring them up and then getting thrown back and forth to the Senate. But while all this was going on, the Democrats were introducing a bunch of bills under the radar too. So you might be wondering, okay, why are the Democrats introducing these bills when, they have, when they're in the minority? These things aren't going to even get into, you know, committee hearings, much less up for floor votes. Well... Talking with, you know, at least one of the Democrats about his bill that he introduced, he was telling me, well, we're just kind of setting the stage for after we, you know, get in control next session, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So even though a lot of people weren't even reading these bills, it is interesting to kind of go through and see, like, okay, what are they thinking? Of, what are they thinking they want to do when they get in charge? So, for, for example, one of these bills was uh, a, a bill that would make it easier for cities to set up their own broadband networks. Well... You know, on this, you know, you you might think, oh, well, that that doesn't seem very controversial. But you, you got to read these things. So, like that one was okay. Their their big solution to make this easier for cities is no cost benefit analysis will be required and no public hearings. Just like in Madison. Yeah. By the way. Yes. No, no cost benefit analysis, but they they, nope. they freak out when there's an environmental impact statement that you you don't have to spend six it, years on if you want to build yeah. something. Yeah, good point. So you know, the the one that got me was you know you, you cities don't have to have public hearings. And it's like, wow, that really is counterintuitive to like the mess, the narrative that they're always pushing about, you know, more inclu- inclusive, you know, civil civil engagement, mm-hmm. civic engagement. So I, you know, so I mean, I saw that one. I just started, you know, okay, I got to see what this one is. I got to see what that one is. You have Leon Young. He introduces a bill that would essentially ban assault weapons in Wisconsin. And what's also interesting about that is that was a second bill that the Democrats had introduced this session for that. But what is interesting on that point, if I may interject here momentarily, is Leon Young, did he not get taken to the woodshed, if you will? Oh, yeah. uh, Got got punished by his caucus. And even we're hearing uh, ejected by his caucus for putting on the floor 
a bill to ban guns, which is exactly what the left wants to do. Well, so what gives, Bill? Well, you know, the other, you know, as I did more research on that, it wasn't just Leon Young, you know, that was back in this policy. Back in Ju July, Senator Lena Taylor, Senator Fred Risser, and F Senator Mark Miller introduced a bill into the Senate that would do the exact same thing. So why were they not? Well, you know, it's... As we get closer to the election, it seems like, you know, there's there's a little tension within the Democrat ranks of, you know, your liberals from Madison and Milwaukee, which is pretty much all their members, uh -huh. <laughs> and the desire to maybe appeal to people outside of Madison and Milwaukee and try to put on a more moderate... Well, Chris, is ding, it, ding, ding, is ding, it ding. perhaps because they learned a thing or two mm -hmm. about a thing or two in Senate 10 and in Pennsylvania and places where the success of Democrats in special elections has been represented by Democrats pretending to be conservative. You look at Senate District 10, and Patty Shackner ran as, if not explicitly, very much implicitly pro-gun mm -hmm. with a picture of her with a, with a hunting rifle or a shotgun. And, uh, and that certainly didn't hurt her. I mean, this is an area of the state mm -hmm. where uh, you have to support gun rights because you have a lot of law-abiding people you know the biggest one of the biggest standing armies in the world when we all go out and go hunting here in wisconsin mm -hmm. or you don't you cannot win the yeah. democrats want to keep that that bill by leon young and those senators and this manifesto by chris taylor they want to keep it under wraps because that is the one that is the biggest issue that will will hurt them badly this fall, so they have to they have to keep that hidden. Well, don't be fooled. Yeah, I've noticed. You know, you've got a lot of pictures of Democrats. You know, campaign websites of you know, guys wearing their orange vests oh, yeah. with their hunting right. rifles and their and their their you know, their hound dogs and you know just good old Wisconsin you know salt of the earth type people. But you know, with Patty Shackner, you know she's she was only in the Senate for a brief period for the end of the session. It was incredible how quickly she fell into the fold. It is interesting, it, it, and we've actually found photos of Patty Shackner on her Facebook page. Right, lots of them. Lots of them. Lots of photos. Where is Patty Shackner, Chris? She's in the Minnesota Capitol at a anti-gun rally following <laughs> the uh, Parkland shooting. The students all organized, I think it was March 24th, and there were a lot of Facebook comments saying, you, you're turning your back on one of your campaign pl pledges here. And uh, so, I mean, she's got four years to enjoy a taxpayer-funded salary, and then she's going to have to answer for, you know, apparently being anti-gun. Will voters remember that though, as they head to the polls? In the and will they months? remember that? Will they will they remember that when they have uh, candidates like this Caps Capsper guy uh, in uh, the former what is uh, being vacated by Senator Terry Moulton? Mm -hmm. uh, you go to his campaign website, and there's it's picture number one, he's got a gun and a hunting dog. Picture number two, he's got a gun. So yeah. So the question is, this is a template yeah. they're replicating throughout the state. Yeah. So the question is, let's say you know they elect thirty of these so-called you know moderates or conservative Democrats to the assembly. Does the party become more conservative or moderate, or does it just make the moderates liberal once they get to Madison? I think the Patty Shackner. <laughs> story is what you are going to see. You are going to see, uh, you know, um, sheeps, sheep in conservatives clothing. How does it, how is the phrase uh, work out here? But no, I mean, that's, that really is the template. That's the pattern. And it speaks to what you were talking about before. It is so much 
then they want power so much that the liberals in Madison are turning their back on their principles in order to achieve victory at the polls. Or they're downplaying them a little bit right now. <laughs> well, that's a good way to spin that. But I've heard the same thing uh, from some conservatives uh, in, in Madison and some conversations, particularly uh, the safe schools uh, legislation where we had uh, this debate over assembly legislation that would expand background checks, and that raised some concerns from some Second Amendment defenders. Mm -hmm. And uh, hearing from a conservative lawmaker who said this, we are selling our principles for the ballot box. And, um, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a, a rank-and-file, you know, uh, aid uh, to some lawmaker out there. That was a conservative lawmaker who's voted on and helped pass a number of conservative pieces of legislation this session. Wow. Well, so mentioning Leon Young, you know, he he got he got in a lot of trouble for, you know, proposing this amendment which was, you know, didn't come out didn't exactly come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, that same way Chris Taylor um, introduces a bunch of amendments to the state constitution. And I mean, we put the story out, you know, last week it got a lot of attention so you know i don't want to go over all of it here because i mean honestly she she there were like about two dozen different amendments to the constitution she was she was proposing but but I, she told you and that's the thing yeah. she told you exactly where the liberals would take state government and that was a beautiful thing about it was it was on it's on, it's in paper it's on paper it's in writing now you know exactly what the liberal agenda is in wisconsin and probably beyond wisconsin too but yeah so go to mckyberinstitute.com to see that story but i just wanted to highlight one particular aspect of this and that is her wanting to make uh, uh her emphasizing the right to vote and it's a lot of like there's a lot of like Orwellian type double talk in a lot of what Chris Taylor puts out there. So she'll say everybody has the right to vote, but everything about her policies kind of takes the right to vote away from people. And as I've been kind of describing it, you know, under Chris Taylor's, you know, constitution, everyone has the right to vote, but nobody's vote counts. So how does how does this happen? Well, the first thing she does is she completely eliminates residency requirements. Now, right now, Wisconsin you need to be a resident of a community for 28 days before an election, and you can't have any intention to move afterwards. She crosses all that out. She literally crosses out the word resident, and she replaces it with reside in the district for 10 days before the election. Mm -hmm. So what that means is your vote no longer counts. If you live in an area where it's at all questionable if you know either candidate is going to win, well, don't even bother. They're going to bus in everyone they need to bus in to tip the scales in that direction so right off the bat you know she has pretty much denied you your right to vote in an election where maybe a hundred 150 votes can mean the difference between a win and a loss uh how much money is considered a good investment for those who would like to bring in folks from other places in the state uh elsewhere in uh the country Put them up in hotels for 10 days and have them vote. Oh, exactly. Would that not be a huge integrity concern? Well, absolutely. And then even if, you, even if by some miracle the candidate you prefer gets elected, it doesn't matter anyway because she wants to take all the power away from the legislature anyway. So right now 
the legislature gets to set the state budget. You know, pretty fundamental mm. duty. Yeah. She wants to take the. She wants to have it so that the Department of Public Instruction gets to determine the level of funding for K-12 education. Oh so the legislature no longer gets to pick the education budget. That's, we, let, we let the bureaucrats pick that. The bureaucrats would also get to pick the DNR secretary. I will tell you this. If you had the DPI superintendent putting together the budget, would you not get more people to turn out for a superintendent oh, of public yeah, maybe. instruction <laughs> election? One, way to one look way on, to raise turnout, yeah. Well, you see, way they, to look on the bright side. Well, you see, that's, you know... The governor gets to pick his own cabinet. That's the way it should be mm-hmm. because you are elect. You know the governor sets out his vision for the state or the candidate for governor. You you vote for that person and then they put that vision into practice. We see with the DPI race every single time that it becomes a very specialized race. The only people that really pay attention to it are people in the education world. That's right. Yep. So rather than the people of Wisconsin telling the government this is the type of education policies that we want to see, it's essentially the educators get to vote for their own boss. Well, you cover education comprehensively for MacGyver. This thought of putting all of the power, and first of all, you you know, Bill talks about cabinet positions. It's not a cabinet position already. So DPI has a lot of autonomy already. Right. Now Chris Taylor says, we're going to give you everything. We're going to give you the power of the purse. You know, I think (laughs) something tells me that she would feel differently if a guy she didn't like was holding that seat, which is a very similar reflection to what we've seen at the federal level, where suddenly many people like Chris Taylor are skeptical of the amount of power that is held by any sort of executive when suddenly that flips overnight. You know, and I'm sure that all of those families whose, whose kids have access to a decent education through the school voucher program would feel really great about, uh, about that position having more power, knowing that Dr. Evers is someone who once called the expansion of the voucher program unethical. Bam. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell, too, that she's very confident with liberals' position in DPI. Oh, yeah. Because not only does she want to give this power to DPI, she also wants to give DPI representation within the DNR, which try to figure that one out. So you would have a... a head scratch. Yeah. So you got the Natural Resources Board. She wants it down to five members. Um, you know, all the, pretty much all the big state officers get to pick one member. So the governor gets to pick a member. The state treasurer gets to pick a member. The secretary of state. And the DPI superintendent gets to, to pick a member on the DNR board. <laughs> and then the, the, then the governor no longer gets to pick the DNR secretary. The board gets to pick the secretary. So, again, more power away from an elected official into a bureaucracy. Into a centralized form of government. And this yeah. gets back to a point you were talking about before, Bill. Yeah. And that is, we've heard how many times during this legislative session on particular bills, oh, you're taking away local control. You're mm-hmm. taking away local control. We've, mm-hmm. We saw that on a bill in particular that said, this isn't about local control. This is about consistency of state uh, employment law policy. Yeah. So you can't have draconian employment laws here and you know open employment laws over here. You've got to keep them consistent. But th- that was one of those bills where you had the left, the Democrats, saying, oh, my goodness, they're taking away local control. What does this do? Mm. What does this proposal do for local control? This vacuums well, all the power out of the legislature and gives it to the bureaucracies. But, not, you know, you mentioned local control. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Your bill, your 18th point on her manifesto is the one that really interests me, the right to collective bargaining, oh. which is essentially rolling back two of the biggest reforms of the, the conservative era, which you know would be, of course, Act 10 and the right to work law, which, again, that takes power away from local elected officials and gives it to the unions and the, well, and the, we don't the have union to, We don't have to be consistent about this stuff. So... <laughs> You know, I, I just want to get one more thing about the DNR secretary because, you know, a lot of people have been commenting on, on this story online. And, you know, there's people there defending it saying, well, the DNR should pick their secretary because they're the experts and they know what's best. Well, I mean, that is a, that is a dangerous path to start walking down to where, you know what, uh, the elected officials that the voters select, they don't really know what they're doing. It's the bureaucrats yeah. that, know, that know best. And you start following that, well, it's like, well, then why why even elect anyone at all? Well, Just let the bureaucrats the, take the, care the of it. The concept du jour is the deep state. Yeah. And you can argue about just how deep it is and, you know, whether it's a conspiracy theory or not. Mm -hmm. I tend to believe that it is true that there is a bureaucracy democracy, and it's heavy on the bureaucracy and not right. much on the democracy. Right. We have that in Wisconsin still, even mm -hmm. after seven plus years of a conservative limited government agenda. We still have too much of that, and we definitely have that nationally, and that's what Chris Taylor's list of amendments would do, centralize power yeah. into bureaucrats deciding, not elected officials. And from someone who claims to be for the people, I just... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, the, the, yeah, the big theme is take power away from the voters and give it to the bureaucrats. Right. And all, you know, she might say, make blatant state statements like, I believe, you know, every person has the right to vote. Well, except for everything she does undermines that right. right. Yeah. And one last point on this, you know, not only, you know, another thing was she wanted to bring back the GAB, but that's not all. Mm -hmm. She wants the GAB to pick the districts. She does not want the, the elected legislature to pick redistricting anymore. She wants to put that in the hands of bureaucrats. That's a good idea. Put, put more power in the hands of an agency that was found to just destroy, eviscerate constitutional well, rights like the First and Fourth Amendments. Well, Good idea. Well, you know, and one last thing, I, I like to, you know, like I like to describe a lot of her, you know, comments as doublespeak and Orwellian. Well, this whole model of taking power away from voters, making elections just inconsequential, just putting in the bureaucracy, well, that's kind of the whole idea behind the novel of 1984. There were no elections. It was just you enter into the bureaucracy and you work your way through it. Right. The bureaucracy was just a giant gray glob and there was... <laughs> It was, it was, yeah, it was a nightmare. Uh, by the way, we would have tweeted some of our thoughts at, at, at Chris Taylor, but she has us blocked on Twitter, so oh. we couldn't. <laughs> well, so hopefully more, more expanded democracy. Yeah, All right, so. As a constituent of hers, that makes me real happy, truly happy to, <laughs> to debate and hear out people who, uh, who think a little bit differently than her. Awesome. All right, so, you know. We started the podcast off with some of the more intriguing and controversial things, but, you know, we're going to try to pull it out of this, you know, depressive, depressing slide <laughs> and actually talk about the end of the session briefly. We put out a, Matt just wrote an enormous piece, a mm -hmm. capstone piece on what the legislature was able to accomplish just this year. Because we just, we just started in January, right, for this? Yes. So just in the past couple months, 
And I'm just going to go through all the victories, you know, then we can talk a little bit about it. But we've got tax relief, welfare reform, baseline budget review, civil asset forfeiture reform, tax conformity, unemployment insurance fraud penalties, wetland reform, employment laws patchwork reform, uh, transportation reforms, including uh, complete cost estimates and bringing builders in the planning phase of projects. We have tort reform for the uh, discovery process. We have reduce, reducing the number of commissions in the state. We have juvie justice and we have school safety. Mm-hmm. So Oof. who wants to jump in first? <laughs> <laughs> I can just give you a quick overview yeah. uh, because uh, while I did assemble this massive uh, report that we put together, it, this was a, obviously a team effort with everybody uh, in a very, very busy, I think, uh, um, Assembly Majority Leader Jim Steinecke, Republican from Kakana, uh, in mid-January uh, got the prediction right when he said this would be an abbreviated, but it would be a very aggressive session. And um, I know there's been a lot of debate about what truly has been accomplished, but if you look at what has occurred over the last few months in this abbreviated but aggressive winter session, uh, you will find a number of conservative victories. You talked about it, Bill. Uh, tax relief is one of those. Now, was it the perfect utopian Cato Institute form uh, of tax reform, uh, in the words of State <laughs> Representative Dale Coinga? No, it certainly was not. Will it benefit uh, a large group of folks over, you know, everybody, every taxpayer? Mm-hmm. Yes, it will. But at the end of the day, it follows the conservative notion that this money that comes back in the way of a surplus, so-called, is not the government's, it's the taxpayers. So more tax reform, that adds on to $8 billion in tax reform over the last seven plus years. That's a pretty, pretty good start. Welfare reform, uh, some of the most ambitious initiatives in the country, and we find out that the Trump administration really likes what Wisconsin has to offer in terms of getting people to work and saying that if you are going to be part of the social safety net, if you need those, fine, they're here, but you got to work. you got to go out and, and train to get work, and so some of that is tied into this. Baseline budget review is simply a matter of honest budgeting, finally. This is a long time overdue, starting at the point that you first received the money when the initiative was, was proposed, and taking a look, is that initiative still successful? Yeah, let, let me explain that one real quick. So mm-hmm. currently, when it comes to budgeting, you're essentially asking the agency, um, you know, they, they say we need money, and, you know, the legislature essentially asks, well, how much did you get last year? Mm-hmm. Base, this, this reform changes it so we need money. Well, how much do you need? <laughs> That's right. So it's it's a it's actually a huge change. And I just uh, you know we got back. My wife and I just got back into power watching The Office, and nice. we just saw <laughs> the episode where uh, you know the accounting group in, within the office finds that they have a you know five thousand dollars <laughs> surplus, and Michael, the doofus office manager, has to figure out how to spend it or they'll lose it. Yeah. And that's really what we've experienced what over the last several years. <laughs> One other one I wanted to point out and, and make a special note of, and then I'll, if you guys want to go over some of the other ones that are, are particular for you and your beats and what you've covered, but civil asset forfeiture reform, 
Mm-hmm. I cannot stress this more. This is huge for the right and the left. This has been a long time coming, too. A long time coming. And and uh, State Senator Dave Craig, who, uh, you know, goodness gracious, spent the last three budget cycles pushing this, yeah. uh, along with the support of some very core conservatives who truly believe in the Fourth Amendment. Right. Well, uh, you know, they they were persistent they were patient. They had their heart, their heart, hearts broken on a number of occasions, but it finally got through, and now we have some protection. Well, you see, and this is one where it just so clearly the difference between right and wrong, and do you have the political courage to go through with it? That's right. This comes down to, I mean, civil asset forfeiture. You know, I've explained, I've described it a lot, but you know, just to make it really simple, under the old law, the police could arrest you. Take all your stuff as evidence, and even if you were innocent, they got to sell it. Yep. Never charged, never even uh, really uh, accused. Yep. You just were pulled over in a traffic stop. There there goes your money, your yeah. car, your assets, whatever it is. So we've changed that. So now the police arrest you. They take your stuff as evidence. You are found innocent. They have to give your stuff back to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just so fundamental. It's so basic. This is the difference between right and wrong. This law, passing this law was doing the right thing. And the number of, of Democrats that voted against it just blows my mind. I mean, this should have been bipartisan. Yeah. Everybody was for it. You know, and like we, we, you know, we're talking a little bit about, you know, Patty, Patty Shackner, you know, falling on the fold as soon as she gets the mask. And, you know, what does she do? She votes against this. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's something that, you know, I don't think any voter in Wisconsin could get behind yeah. anybody that, you know, was against this reform. Yeah, if they truly understand what it is. And uh, like shameful, I said, really. it's, a, it's just a huge victory for anybody who believes in a constitution. I think, I think a lot of people don't, maybe even some legislators don't fully understand the, the scope of this problem or what, I mean, civil asset forfeiture is kind of an inaccessible word maybe they should just change yeah, it to like right. i don't know theft yeah but uh <laughs> that, yeah know, it's exactly government sanctioned well, theft but, you know and this is this is something that if you have like a hundred bucks 200 bucks seized it's not going to make the front page of the paper so this is an issue that a lot of people don't even know is a problem and right. they're going to be flabbergasted by this idea that that this could even happen in the first place that you don't have to be actually convicted before your property yeah. sold off so i mean right. this was politically courageous because it solved a big problem, but it wasn't a huge political advantage. I don't think yeah. this is going to go on lit pieces necessarily in the fall. No, and on that point, quickly, um, I'm driving down 30, heading into Madison uh, the other day, taking the kids downtown, and I see a car abandoned on the side of the road. Okay, And there's already a ticket on it, and obviously mm-hmm. somebody's going to come and pull that away. But maybe that's a situation where a drug dealer wanted to flee and get out because he thinks the cops are coming after him, all right? But maybe that's a situation of a poor guy and his family. Their car broke down, and they have, that's it. They've, they want to, they, they, they have to get somewhere uh, for a job opportunity or whatever. Uh, this is a bill, this is an issue that hits the low-income mm-hmm. population of this state more disproportionately. Mm-hmm. And so You're it right. is baffling to me that Absolutely. the left could not get that. Absolutely. You're right, the people that can't fight back. Yeah. Exactly. Are you trying to imply that they're, they're talking points about the left, about the, 
the, the left's talking points about right. the about the poor are just that, just talking Caring points. about the poor, well, civil liberties, stuff like that. We know? talked about the, phony the right socialists, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah vo- voters' rights, you know, everyone has the right to vote, you know, yeah. 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 It sounds about it, yeah. Double now, talk. to continue right along on, on everything that happened this session and everything that didn't happen this session, I think that... You know, there's this idea that I certainly agree with out there. Beating back bad bills Mm. is just as important, if not more important, than passing good legislation. And so we had a couple couple things that uh, reared their ugly head. A couple close calls, absolutely, that, you know what, at the end of the day, they went nowhere. And very good for that. The number one I think of is the Kimberly Clark pay-to-stay proposal. <laughs> that one would have extended tax cre- certain tax credits that Foxconn got to the company, Kimberly Clark, as a sort of carrot to get them to stay. You know, this is something that uh, we, as the MacGyver Institute, along with a group of other free market conservative think tanks, uh, wrote a press release on urging the legislature to rethink this issue or to at least take another look at it because, guys, you know, we cannot just start walking down this road of picking winners and losers. That is not what the state is here for. You know, what I wonder is the people who are pushing this bailout, this pay-to-stay proposal, if they use typewriters and paper envelopes and that whole thing to do all their communicating, or maybe they used email instead when they cooked this thing up. Uh-huh. So, and that, that's just to illustrate, you can't take the, the, the flow of progress and damn it off with taxpayer money in a giant right. pile. You just right. can't do it. Otherwise, we'd you know, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. We'd be writing out a handwritten note and putting it on the Pony Express because, you know, the, <laughs> the anti-free market forces would have propped up the Pony Express. And this, the is, this is what I was talking about before. I mean, we talk about the, the left saying, well, we'll put our principles aside for a while sure. and put our guys with guns mm-hmm. and pictures and say how much we support the Second Amendment. No, no, we're, we're not for all this gun control they're talking about, you know? <laughs> Uh, and and put that putting that aside, putting their principles aside. Well, I think this is an example where uh, it can certainly be argued that there were some conservatives who put their conservative principles aside, and uh, in order to, as you you know, Chris, to try to stop what is the way of the international marketplace. Now that doesn't mean that that doesn't stink for 600 employees who are facing a loss right. of their job. It's never welcome news when somebody loses their job. The, no, the, you look on the bright side, though, this is a very strong economy with very low unemployment rate, and their skills in manufacturing are sought after right now. So I, they're, well, they're going to land on their feet. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember the initial news report saying that they have an 18-month heads up mm-hmm. that we're going to be closing the plant. I mean, that is just – I mean, you want to talk about a soft landing into a nice economy – you know, I've said before, you know, even if they succeeded in convincing Kimberly Clark to stay, you know, the time's going to come when the economy will take a downturn. And nothing you can say or give Kimberly Clark will keep that plant open. And then those, those, those workers will be thrown out, out on the street without an 18-month notice and not to have a good economy to go be looking for new jobs in. And I think so, at, I mean, at what's this point, more... I, I don't know what you can say to Kimberly Clark, because if you could have said something to Kimberly Clark, if Kimberly Clark had thought this was the perfect idea right here and right now, this legislation would have passed. Right. 
right. It would have yeah. passed. There, right. you know, there, there. I think based on you know the folks that we've talked to on the inside in the mm-hmm. Capitol, there was enough support, perhaps begrudging support for some fiscal conservatives, but there was enough support for this. The reality that is lost in all of this is that Kimberly Clark is facing market forces. Mm-hmm like so many other companies, and they have to adapt. And again, that stinks for 600 employees who face the loss of their jobs. But Kimberly Clark, as a company, has to define what is in the best interest for its employees at large, its stakeholders, Mm -hmm. the people who have invested in that company, and the ultimate growth of that company. That is the nature of all of this. Mm -hmm. And you you cannot salve those market forces with by dumping a bunch of taxpayer money on it. That's right. Yep. And this is the reason why we started the podcast by saying, well, I think Bill said, we hope the session's over, is because on Friday, <laughs> the office of Senator Fitzgerald put out a statement saying, it's off, we're not going to do this special elections package of bills, <laughs> but if we come back, it will be because Kimberly Clark and the union negotiated a deal <laughs> and came to the legislature, and it would be to pass the some kind of a, Pay to stay package. So the the, the odds are yeah happen. the odds are pretty low right now. So that's why we're talking about it today. But. We'll have to take back our, yeah. our, our oh, congratulations gosh. of the Senate for saying no to the package if they do that. We don't want to have to. We well, don't have to go chide them. Well, so the other two close calls in Matt's story were the um, fifty million dollars a year rural development grants. That's fifty million dollars a year every year for the rest of time, <laughs> and then uh, also the alcohol czar bill, which is always popping up. That is the zombie <laughs> king of zombie legislation. You know, I'm yep. walk, watching The Walking Dead again now that <laughs> it's back from season two, and it's like this is a more resilient zombie than any of the zombies in that show. Where, <laughs> where do you got to stab this thing to get it to finally die? No wooden yeah. stick that takes care of this one. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, there were some missed opportunities too. We've talked a lot about direct primary care. We've talked about wineries being able to stay open past nine o'clock, and uh, the minimum markup. Um, Repeal, all three of those things never really. Well, at least got Minimum Markup got a hearing this year. Yeah, huh? a small victory. I don't. Direct know. primary care was the. Prim- yeah. Yeah, the direct primary care was the one that really bummed me out. I think that is the most heartbreaking one. To be the t- potential to save hundreds of millions of dollars right. and to make a pretty big reform to the way we treat health insurance in this state. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is you know that that's never coming back if conservatives the conservative uh, mm-hmm. era is over uh you know we're gonna get badger care for all or some other government-centric <laughs> yeah. solution um so yeah, we'll see uh in future sessions if this is a bill that can come back well i teased earlier t- that we would talk a little bit about uw stevens point and uh man you were actually on the radio last week uh with a little segment about this I did. It's a segment on uh, our our fine Ola Lazowski's uh, reporting <laughs> on this in her column, and I just basically take uh, some very key important information there. But perhaps we'll expound upon that a little bit once we hear this uh, one of our latest MacGyver News minutes that you'll be able to hear twice a week on News Talk 11:30 WISN. This is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. Finding a responsible higher ed administrator is like hitting a 36 on an ACT. Very rare. So what happens when that rare administrator does something fiscally responsible? Well, he's pilloried by the left, of course. Case in point, UW-Stevens Point Chancellor Bernie Patterson, who was simply proposing a realignment of the school's programs. Why? 
because fewer and fewer students are enrolling in them. Liberal students, led by one very out-of-touch liberal lawmaker, recently held a Save Our Majors sit-in to protest fiscal responsibility. Here's what the protesters left out. UW-Stevens Point faces a growing deficit, in large part because of spending obligations that, like so many other universities, don't match the real-world needs of today's college students. Save our majors? More like save common sense and the people who apply it. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. And again, you can listen to the MacGyver News Minute on News Talk 1130 WISN. Every Tuesday and Thursday comes uh, pops up three times a day, so be sure to check that out. Uh, Ola, explain a little more what's going on. We heard the basics uh, on the News Minute, but what, what's going on at Stevens Point? And what's been the reaction by the liberal students? Sure. So this is something we spent a little bit of time talking about last week as well, but essentially the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point had made an announcement that they would stop uh, providing or stop uh, offering certain majors, including uh, English, art, history, philosophy, political science, humanities-based, liberal arts-based majors, while expanding other mostly STEM programs and actually creating a whole bunch of brand new majors programs, including including ones like aquaponics, which is, you know, going to help with fish farms up north and the future of agriculture. So, you know, my initial reaction was, wow, that's awesome. There are... Wait, should I just stop? No, no, go ahead. Okay, sorry. Just an um, ambulance, nothing to worry about. <laughs> Uh, life in Madison, yeah. So my initial reaction was, okay, this is awesome. There are more than a dozen four-year uh, universities in the UW system. Almost every single one of them provides almost every single one of these majors. Good for Stevens Point. They're, they're specializing. And more importantly, there simply isn't a lot of demand by students there for these majors. And, and the ones, the areas that they're expanding are areas that students have asked for. So, you know, we, we put out our piece on that. I was published in the in a paper in the Stevens Point area, so that was great. And the latest news there at following a quote-unquote save our majors protest at some point last week, very well attended by about 70 people or so. Well, not, not all of them students. <laughs> not all of them students. Uh, it was reported by the Stevens Point Journal following that that a Stevens Point spokeswoman said that university leaders are now walking back their proposal to retool these these majors and that they did, in fact, accept the request from students uh, who organized that, uh, that protest, and they will be creating a new committee uh, to, uh, to retool the, the cuts and examine uh, humanities majors. Here's an honest question. Why do they call themselves progressives? Wow. <laughs> I mean, this is progress. This is, yeah. These are new degrees with, uh, that are the careers of the future, and they're, you know, they're making a pragmatic decision. Right. And these yep. progressives, led by Katrina Shankland, who is just, just polarizing the campus so she can collect names for her next campaign, are standing in the way of progress to take a, an arts degree and make it into a graphic design degree. Yeah, I mean, that's, which is that's already, what, that, already the most popular uh, and there's, <laughs> concentration and there's, within art. And they're dying on this hill of saving majors that students aren't even enrolling in any significant yeah. numbers anymore. So Fewer than 500 students how, enroll in all of those majors as their primary major on a campus of about 8,200. So. And, and you have it's Dave Hansen, 
What did Dave Hansen say in the Senate? The liberal arts are our future. <laughs> the future of the state of Wisconsin. How, how dare right. these people use the word progress in their label? It's They're standing speed. in the way did of we, progress. First of all. Well, there's a theme in this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Double speed. Two, yeah. two, two points. Did we, did, did, did we just have a Khrushchev at the UN moment? <laughs> yeah. over there? Was yeah, he took I wanted to make a point. First, I, that, I just want to bring that up. No, he's very... But you're right. See, you the, know, this delicious Pepsi is taking, it's taking well, an effect well, on me. I think it's the Pepsi and the passion. It's the two Ps. You're in it. But, but no, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is, but we've, we've talked about it throughout this podcast. What we have, once again, is anytime you have someone on the left uh, that starts to make a little sense, <laughs> they rein them back in. No, 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 no. Uh, Ed's leaving the farm. We got to bring him back in. And so that's what we have. And I say that on the left because usually our institutions of higher education are populated uh, not just in the faculty but in administration with left-minded thinking, thinking that government is the solution for all things, thinking that the more money you throw at something, the better it is, the more taxpayer money you throw at it is, the better it is, and this is what we get. Anytime you have someone, and let's face it, and, and Ola pointed this out in her piece, this was a brave, courageous move by the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, and you saw what happened to bravery. It got pulled back to the farm. What's clear to me is that Katrina Shanklin doesn't care about the campus because usually they try to have a nice working relationship with the chancellors in their district. It, instead, she's rewarding this guy's you know decision, but with a with a protest and a sit-in and and with a nationwide PR campaign. But it didn't surprise you at any level. Of course not. You know no. any 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 excuse you can throw to have get some attention, yeah. and it's great too how the national media just jumped on this and you saw at that protest there nobody on that campus cares you have 70 people not just from the campus but yeah. that entire community came out 70 people to protest this right. out and of thousands right. that potentially could have attended and you said it bill i mean the national media was all in on this story i mean because the, the, you had a chancellor who defied the order of things That's the order of things is uh, our institutions of higher education will have to continue to be overpriced, bloated institutions because that's the way it is, and yeah. that's the way we want it to be. Because a little, a little uh, cadre of students well, that, threw a fit. Yeah, 70 people and about you know two dozen reporters. Right. Wow. Well, we can't we can't put up with this pressure. <laughs> is that Ultimately, a what it comes down puddle? to. If the students of UW-Stevens Point wanted to save their majors, they would be enrolling in them. And they're not. Put your money where your sit-in is. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so, yeah, it's it's just we could go on and on. So I certainly will be watching to find out what this so-called task force (laughs) to address their fiscal challenges and preserve their existing humanities majors will do. Meanwhile, I'm sure that enrollment will continue to drop. Well, I will. I think what you just said wraps up nicely what this podcast and this institution is all about. We will be watching.
that's what we do. And we'll do this again next week. We'll all get together in our little room here mm-hmm. in our palatial office. I was going to uh, say, office, what do you mean our little room? Our giant studio? Overlooking <laughs> uh, the Capitol where they are spending your money, sometimes like drunken sailors. We'll continue to watch that spending. We'll continue to check that policy. We'll see where everything stands. And then next week, of course, we'll all get back together and see if the left uh, blue tsunami or blue puddle is in motion because we have obviously a big election uh, this day as we record. But we'll wrap all of that up coming next week. Until we talk again, this is uh, Team MacGyver. Matt Kittle for Team MacGyver saying, make it a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>